Hello and welcome. You're listening to season one of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hi, everyone. Today I have with me Sarah. Sarah is the mom of neurodivergent children, and she's neurodivergent herself, as am I. And so we're going to have a conversation today about what it means to be the parent and caregiver for children who are neurodivergent. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. Will you tell me a little bit about yourself and your family and your family's journey? Yes. Um, I am a mom of two boys on the autism spectrum. I have a 12-year-old son. His name is Remy and a seven-year-old son. His name is Joey. And both of my kids have very different levels of support needs. My youngest son is nonverbal. He has a lot of difficulties with like executive functioning, understanding, um, understanding what's dangerous what's safe. He kind of, he kind of gets into everything. He's very sweet, happy little boy, but he will put things in his mouth that aren't food and, you know, choke, stick his finger in electrical socket. Um, he's an elopement risk and he just, he's still in diapers and he just requires constant 24 seven supervision and care. Um, and on the other hand, my 12 year old son is a also a very sweet, loving boy. He's very intelligent. He's got an IQ of 125 and he can just has like this, an amazing memory, can memorize anything. He can support himself. He's fairly independent. He can make his own like meals and things like that. However, his struggles are more social and emotional. His struggles relating with peers, communicating with peers, making friends, Those are his big struggles. And then there's also the outbursts in the, you know, the meltdowns from him being, I hate using functioning labels, but in this sense, I feel like I have to, from him being higher functioning or, you know, not requiring as much support, kind of masking his day through. Mm -hmm. And then we're having meltdowns and, um, you know, he just struggles with the social and emotional control. Uh, so that's kind of my parent story. Um, my story, I became a mom at the age of 25. I was a nurse's aide for 17 years. So caregiver diagnosed with ADHD at the age of seven and, um, experienced caregiver burnout during the pandemic experienced neurodivergent burnout from also masking my ADHD, trying to be normal, um, (laughs) in air quotes 
and just, you know, just again, juggling my kids in their needs. Right. And what is normal these days? You know, I do want to ask, you mentioned two things and I wonder if the people listening at home are going to know what these are. So will you tell us first about what is an elopement risk? Oh, um, elopement risk. It does not mean he's going to run away and get married. It means, <laughs> it means he is going to leave the house, like go outside and run. And unfortunately, one of the number one causes for children who are nonverbal autistic or, you know, require more support needs is drowning. And mm. we have water behind our house and we have neighbors with pools. And oh, that's scary. Um, while there's fences, he can climb. Um, so our concern is him running out into traffic or right. running into water and drowning. So elopement would be leaving a place where you're supposed to be where you're safe and you're supervised. Yeah. That's terrifying uh, that you guys have so much water around your house. And that, that I can imagine is a huge concern. You know, I often with my own children, we have a dog. And so we let, you know, the dog goes outside, the door will be left open sometimes, you know, especially if we're just taking him out into the yard. And right now I have a one-year-old who, for whatever reason, now he's a different kind of elopement risk, but he'll just book it down the yard, down the driveway, uh, towards the mailbox, towards the road. And we're very lucky that our house is set, set pretty far back because back from the street. Cause that little sucker is fast and I love him to death, but I don't know how those teeny tiny little one-year-old legs can run as fast as they can. And it is terrifying to see your child running towards danger. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, he's, he's a one-year-old. He gets out because we accidentally leave the door open. I can imagine when you're seven, you can actually reach the doorknob. You can reach the lock. You can go outside. You can, you know, take off on your own. That's, that's really, really scary. Um, so tell me the other word I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned masking and I know my son deals with masking a lot at school and that leads to, um, you know, after school restraint meltdowns. Um, but I don't know that everyone knows what masking is. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Masking is basically a term, um, that's widely used in the neurodivergent community where you're, you, where you're trying to cover up your neurodivergent traits, Mm -hmm. um, for, for anybody with special needs or especially who's neurodivergent, there's some level of masking. Um, I get, I, with ADHD, sometimes I hyper-focus on things and, or I fixate on things. Um, I, I also get distracted very easily and I had to cover that and try to just have normal focus. And, um, or sometimes I'm just overwhelmed and I have to pretend to be again, normal. I can't let my ADHD brain do what it wants to do. Just like my son, he also has a comorbidity of ADHD and anxiety. Um, my older son, so he has, you know, autism, ADHD, anxiety. So he has to mask these fixations and, and cover up these things that make him who he is, but are not always socially appropriate. That makes complete sense. And, you know, I do that myself. I have ADHD also, and I know that sometimes my brain works faster than my mouth. And so I'll be three sentences ahead in my brain and my mouth just isn't moving fast enough. And I have to really think about, or alternatively, my mouth is moving very, very fast and people are, you know, it's like speed talking, you know, I'm running verbally and I have to consciously slow myself down. Um, And I also have to, when I'm presenting, for example, to a group at work, I have to make sure that I have copious notes 
And I mean, written down notes so that I make sure that I stay on topic. I remember what I'm talking about. And so that when my brain is three slides ahead, I'm still actually speaking to the slide that people are seeing. So that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of us do that. Um, And to your point, I think people who are in the neurodivergent community have to do that so much more and so much more intensely and more frequently than the rest of us. And that can really lead to some real emotional and physical exhaustion. Um, So tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you guys have encountered or that you personally have encountered as the mom trying to, you know, help your kids learn and grow. And what are some things that you're finding difficult along this journey? <laughs> Most things. Um, I, if I'm going to be honest, every mom would say that, right? If every I'm going to be honest, all of it. Um, no, in my, and I don't want to sound like, and I hope I am not coming across as though I think my children are a burden because they're not. They're the coolest kids not. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit biased on that, but uh, we, it's it's the biggest challenge in my home right now is juggling the different levels of support. Mm. Um, my seven-year-old is still into things a one-year-old would be into. Mm-hmm. He's kind of never really developed cognitively past, you know, maybe a year and a half old. Um, and he's, he's still into like watching things like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, where my 12-year-old is huge into Pink Floyd and playing guitar. And imagine having one child playing guitar and electric guitar, like, ran, you know, jamming out to pretty much whatever he wants to play and another child who's not super fond of loud noises although my Mm. younger child does love music but you know um more into like still watching like mickey mouse and teletubbies and bluey and those types of things where i haven't you know uh so finding activities finding things that entertains and engages both of my children keeping my youngest child safe is a huge priority Um, we do have locks on literally everything. It's another challenge to go around the house and make sure everything is locked. Make sure the deadbolt, we have a double locking deadbolt with the key on both sides because my son learned how to turn the deadbolt and open the door. That's scary. Um, so safety things are, are obviously a challenge. Um, And then the emotional outbursts and balancing the 12 year old. I don't want to do baby stuff. Right. Right. My other son. So finding things, finding activities that try to, that we can engage everybody in is, is a bit of a challenge, but, um, I don't know. It just, a lot of times, a lot of times how I combat that is I have my 12 year old help with the support needs of my younger son, because he's physically capable of doing it. He is emotionally capable of doing it with adult assistance. Right. Right. So like one thing he'll do is, um, my younger son has a GPS tracker to keep him safe. And my 12 year old knows how to take it off of my younger son's pants and plug it in. So it charges. He also knows how to help take his brother's leg braces off. I, you know, I don't let him do it like totally independently, but he does. And he helps with diaper changes and helps get everything set up and will hold his brother's hand. Uh, he'll help with dinner and things like that. And we're teaching my seven-year-old how to set the table. Um, we're handing yeah. him plates and telling him put on table, put on table. Um, because really I can only do so many things in a day. 
Yeah. I can only yeah. balance needs so much. And my 12 year old one day came up to me and said, I don't think it's fair that I have to do the dishes, sweep the floor, clean my room and clean my brother's room. And I'm like, we all have to have chores. He's like, yeah, but my brother doesn't do anything but make messes. And I'm like, well, we're going to find a chore that he can do. Yeah. So everybody is working together. In my I house. love that. I love that you found a way to make it more equitable for them so that your older son still has the responsibility of chores and contributing to the house, but your younger son does too. And that's so important for, for him, but also for your 12 year old as, as the older child in the house growing up, I had a younger brother and he was only a couple of years younger than me, but I remember hating when I had more to do than he did, or when he got to do things at a younger age than I did, that bothered me so much. And, you know, I think it caused a lot of resentment when we were growing up and a lot of sibling rivalry, because I was always feeling like it just wasn't fair. Um, and so I love that you're taking that into consideration and you're making things equitable and you heard him when he told you he was feeling that way. I think that's just sign of such a wonderful mother. So, you know, congratulations to you because that that's a really important thing that I think a lot of parents would just dismiss or would brush right past and say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, with my um, with my oldest, who is our neurodivergent son. I, he requires a lot of extra attention. He requires a lot of extra handholding. We really do have to cater our, our plans for the weekend, for the day to him. His diagnosis is called DMDD and it is characterized by frequent rage outbursts that are really uncontrollable. So we have to make sure that we're avoiding anything that might trigger an outburst like that. You know, we still have to balance saying no. You can't just say yes to your child all the time in every situation, but you also have to try to make sure that you're not accidentally triggering an outburst. And sometimes, particularly with DMDD, you don't know what the trigger is going to be that day. It could be something that wasn't triggering yesterday. And I feel like my other kids, um, that's a real challenge for me because they don't understand, particularly my four-year-old who's very close in age to my oldest, who's six. You know, I feel like they, he doesn't really understand why, you know, gets to choose the TV show first, you know, they still take turns, but she gets to choose first and, you know, why he gets to decide, you know, if we're going one place or another and yeah, probably eight or nine times out of 10, we're going to go with the one jibber freedom. If there's a disagreement, because we know that if we don't, that could cause a meltdown that could really throw off the rest of the day for the younger children too. And they don't have the cognitive ability to understand that we're making this choice because we know the consequence and we understand how that's going to impact the rest of the weekend. And I, I really am very cognizant of that. And I really try to make sure that I talk to them about that and that they understand why we're making the decisions that we're making. But sometimes I feel like I'm failing, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm doing them a real disservice by catering to my oldest. Um, and I hope that as they get older and that they understand more about what's happening in the dynamics of the family from a more adult perspective, that they'll understand why we're making these decisions that we're making. But I don't know that it, you know, at the moment they can't conceptualize it. They can't understand it. And I think about that a lot. You know, I think about that a lot about how having a severely neurodivergent child impacts 
their siblings. And I think that's one of my biggest challenges. So you mentioned having ADHD yourself. Does that, and I, I do as well. I know for me, I have to do a lot of things for my own ADHD to try to make sure that I can manage the medications and the appointments and the triggers, as I was saying, you know, I need to make routines and make lists and make sure that I'm managing my own neurodivergence so that I can help manage his. Do you, do you find that you're doing that as well? Um, I'm doing my best. Uh, <laughs> I, <Aren't> we all, <laughs> so I didn't, and, and I will never tell someone not to take medication or to take medication. That is a personal choice. That is up to the family um, and up to you and what you need. And I personally did not feel my body doesn't react well to any medication. Mm. I'm just, I can't even take an iron supplement without vomiting. So oh, I'm geez. one of those people, my body just does not react well to medications. Um, I didn't like the way I felt on ADHD medications at a young age. I've also taken throughout my life, throughout various times, had to take like antidepressants, medications for anxiety. I always felt horrible on them emotionally and physically. It's, that's just not my route. And again, if you're taking, if you're on meds and you're prescribed meds, keep taking them. I am and I do. (laughs) Do not stop. Like do what is best for you and your body. And if they're working for you, then keep doing it. If, if you're a person like me and you have to focus on coping strategies, Mm -hmm. that's okay too. And um, I was fortunate that my dad also has ADHD. Mm. Uh, It's, it's genetic. It's like flat out genetic. My family is ADHD, um, (laughs) except for my mom and my sister. They're the normal ones in air quotes. Uh, but you know, um, it's just, it's for me, it's doing my best to keep things organized. I have IEP binders for my kids. I do, I do find I have a better day as far as productivity wise. If I make a to-do list, um, I write a lot of things down. I leave the grocery list at home a lot. Um, I know that there are certain things that I need to set reminders for, like, on my smart devices. That's another really great thing that we have. And as far as like neurodivergent meltdown, ADHD, like burnout and stuff like that, I like to just make sure that I reserve space for me to do something that isn't, that doesn't require a lot of thought that doesn't require Mm. a lot of anything. Um, and that's, you know, that's just, that's just me and what I do. Sometimes I might watch the same show over again, I might watch a documentary or I might go play the Sims kind of like when my husband gets home, kind of say, okay, I'm done now and yeah. go to bed early and play the Sims or watch a documentary. I, you know, while I'm playing the Sims, usually if I'm doing two things at once, my brain's not going, it's, it's kind of like half focused on the two things. So it's a little mindless. I don't know. It's, it's weird to explain, but that's just how my brain works in what I do. Those are my coping strategies. I completely understand that. And I love that you said watching the same show over and over and over. Cause I cannot tell you how many seasons of the office I have rewatched. Same thing with friends back in the day, the office after that Gilmore girls, I've watched all the seasons of Gilmore girls like 10 times because there's something comforting in the repetitiveness. And I think for me, for my brain, it's that there's not going to be a surprise. You know, there's nothing that's going to 
jump out at me. There's nothing. And, and I'm not talking in like the horror sense, but just there's, it's like my brain knows what to expect so it can relax. It doesn't have to be on guard. It doesn't have to be in that kind of prepared mode for something to happen next. It's just, it's calm. It's comfortable. It's relaxing. And there's going to be no surprises. And I think for me, that familiarity and that like, and maybe it's because I also have anxiety as a comorbidity. Now that I'm, now that I'm saying that out loud, it could have to do with the anxiety, but, you know, just knowing that, ah, my brain can just take a little break is, is so relaxing. And, you know, we were talking uh, before we started recording about self-care and I feel like that is one of my self-care items. And you mentioned caregiver burnout as well. You know, what do you do when you're feeling burned out and, you know, what are some strategies that you use? So for burnout, I, the first thing I want to say is actually for self-care, um, the most important thing is that it's not a chore. Mm. A lot of self-care experts will tell you, and again, I use air quotes for experts because I don't think anybody's a self-care expert. I think that self-care is so individual that it's not a one size fits all thing. Um, so it, true. It's, so individual and it depends on the person and what they enjoy. So a lot of self-care experts will tell you to journal and meditate and take a long bath and sit still and just focus on your breath. And those are all great things. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes meditation feels like a chore. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. journaling feels like a chore. Sometimes journaling annoys me. Um, and, and I used to love it. And I used to be like a huge, like, yeah, let's do journaling. And now I'm just like, I have to write three things I'm thankful for today. I can't think of one. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's okay. And so that yep. day I close my journal and I say, nope, not doing this. And I'll put a song on that I like. Uh, right now it's the Lizzo song about damn time. Oh, uh, love it. That's, that song is on loop in my house when I need to feel better. Because um, it's just such a positive song. And and there's even like self-care experts who will tell you not to listen to pop music because because it will bring you down or not to listen to rock and roll. I've got heavy metal songs that I listen to that make me feel good too. Yeah. Um, listen to whatever makes you happy. I exactly. mean, this is there, self-care. It just Come depends on. on the mood for the day. So yeah. self-care can be anything from playing a video game to a dance party to if you want to go the journaling meditation route, go for it. Like, like taking a walk, taking a drive, having a glass mm. of wine. All of those things are self-care. Um, it self-care does not have to be expensive. It can cost you nothing. Um, and it does not have to be something somebody else likes or would consider self-care. It has to be what you consider self-care. And yeah. when you can find pockets in your day to put this self-care in, not like I need to block off an hour or 45 minutes for self-care. I'm cooking right now. Can I play my favorite song while I cook and, you know, use my spatula as a microphone just to make <laughs> me feel better? Do it. Absolutely. You can absolutely can. You're the boss of your own house. <laughs> well, and I love that too, because, you know, as you were saying, it doesn't have to be something somebody else likes. It also doesn't have to be the same thing you liked yesterday either. You know, today journaling could feel great. And tomorrow journaling could feel like a chore and that's okay too. You don't have to have the same self-care task because then it becomes a task. It can be whatever you need in that moment. And that was something I actually took a lot of time to learn personally. You know, I used to think of like laying down and taking a nap as being lazy or, you know, just a symptom of my burnout. But what I 
finally came to realize my own internal monologue. I had to change it and say, what I need right now, what makes me happy in this moment is to lay down and take a nap. That's not being lazy. That is self-care. And it's okay to not sit down and meditate or write in a journal. If what I want right now is to sleep, then sleeping is self-care and that's okay too. And it took me a really long time to realize that self-care wasn't about the actual act. It was about the feeling that that act gave you. And so if going to the grocery store and listening to you know, your favorite podcast while you walk around the grocery store, it makes you feel good, that's self-care. If, you, if it doesn't make you feel good, it's not self-care. It's not about the act. It's about the feeling. Um, so, and you were a nurse, you said, you said you were a nurse and I was a nurse's aide, a nurse's aide during COVID, right? You were in the, in the hospitals during COVID. I imagine burnout. I can only imagine burnout would have been really, really intense and stark during those couple of years. Yes. Um, I was actually in a long-term care facility. So I was getting burnt out before COVID. I was actually a nurse's aide for 17 years. I started in healthcare at 17 um, wow. while I was still in high school. I got my nurse's aid license, uh, did, you know, long-term care facility, Alzheimer's unit, subacute care, um, went on to get a medication license. So I was able to pass meds, uh, worked in home care for a while, and then transferred and spent my last 10 years of my healthcare career in a um, assisted living facility, which I loved. I absolutely loved. And I do miss it. But I got to a point where it was, I was taking care of my kids. Mm -hmm. My younger son was having sleep regression. I was going to work to take care of people who we weren't really in lockdown anymore. It was 2021 summer when I finally resigned, but it was like, I had gone through the worst of the pandemic with lockdown. Um, We did have a outbreak in our building of COVID. It was, it was, it sucked. It hurt. It was hard. Um, And, you know, there was, there was this level of, I was also coaching my mom with taking care of my grandmother who had Alzheimer's at the time and trying to help my mom take care of my grandmother. So it was just like, I was just coming from all these different ends of caregiving. I was caregiving as a granddaughter to a grandmother with Alzheimer's and helping my mom. I was caregiving for my children with special needs. And I was going into work every day and caring for elderly people people who I loved, I loved, 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 and I missed them so much. Um, but there was only so much of me to go around Yeah, and my burnout just hit, it just hit a point where I was, it was no longer mental where I was depressed. Mm-hmm. It became physical. I was getting eye infections. I was getting stomach infections. I was getting sinus infections almost every other week I was getting sick. Oh, geez. And my grandmother passed away. And even before she passed away, I hit like a low with depression and had to reach out to a crisis line for help. And um, really, you know, really used that to try to help others with, yeah. you know, with Caregiver Chronicles, with my podcasts and things, but also really used time in there to learn about self-care because we had meetings on self-care as a nurse's aide and burnout and all this stuff. And it was like, how do I do this when I have kids? And it was, and it was always, again, your typical self-care expert coming in, telling you to find an hour a day to meditate or an hour a day to, 
to journal, whatever. And it's like, I don't have an hour a day. I'm lucky if I have five minutes to pee and eat. Like most days, honestly, through the, like the beginning stages of the pandemic, we were living off Domino's because we couldn't, I didn't have time to cook. I was teaching my kids and doing their therapies, doing their homeschool, and then going to work second shift. Right. Like there was no time. So we literally lived off Domino's. Um, I'm sure that didn't help my mental health, but you know, I kept the local dominoes in business. So go me (laughs) and go and going back to self-care. That's what you needed in that moment. Right. And there's no, there's nothing to regret about that. There's nothing to be ashamed of about that. What you needed in that moment was not to cook. (laughs) And that is absolutely okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it just, and I still say that I think takeout is self-care sometimes. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just easier. Sometimes it's just a lot of times it's, I'd say it's almost always easier, (laughs) but, and, and we do the same thing. You know, we have, um, on my, my oldest goes to Cub Scouts and, um, on Tuesday nights, that's his like Tuesday night activity. We, he's only in one activity because we can't, we know we can't stretch him further than that. You know, these activities are all out of after school. And I've already mentioned, you know, this after school, um, burnout, you know, that he gets just this restraint control that he, he melts down after school almost every day. And so we have him in one activity a week to try to make sure that he's still getting the opportunity to get out and to socialize and to participate in extracurriculars. But I also know that on Tuesdays, it's going to be a fight, you know, it's going to be a tough, he loves it. He loves going, no one's forcing him to do it, but getting the Cub Scout shirt on and getting his shoes back on after he's come home from school and making sure that he eats is tough. And so, and he also gets to bed late those nights. And so we get happy meals every Tuesday night, every Tuesday night, we get a happy meal. And that is just what our life is right now. And you know what, I'm not going to let anybody make me feel bad about that, you know, and that it's so hard in the mom community because moms will judge it will be judged for anything. I mean, you order Domino's on a Wednesday and oh my God, what a terrible parent you are. I get a happy meal on a Tuesday and oh my God, you're feeding. I would never feed my kids that we eat all organic. Nothing, you know, not shaming any mom who feeds their kids all organic, but in this house, we eat happy meals occasionally. You know, I once saw a, um, a parent group just absolutely go ballistic over a debate about whether or not it was okay to leave your kid in the car while you put your shopping cart back in the cart return spot. And people felt really strongly about this in both directions. And it absolutely blew up with name calling. And I would never do that. And, you know, people threatening to dox each other and call CPS because you should never leave your kid in the car alone. And then the other folks saying, you know, how, like you're leaving your kid. Oh my God. You know, and it was just both directions. People were so angry with each other. And I feel like parents, moms in particular, we deal with that judgment all the time and then add in caring for neurodivergent children who maybe are melting down in grocery stores or in parking lots or, you know, throwing an absolute fit at the park or, 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 or moms have it hard no matter what. And I feel like moms of neurodivergent children really need that extra support, not that extra judgment. You know, I couldn't agree more. And I think that I've gotten to the point in, 
you know, my, especially with neurodivergent kids and having to deal with judgment every day, um, I've gotten to the point where the only mom's opinion I care about is my mom's. Mm. Um, and that's in that's I love there's that. even times where her opinion, I'm like, you know what, mom, I'm doing the best I can. Right. And, right. um, she has said to me in one breath, your house isn't clean enough. And then in the next breath, it's impossible to keep anything clean with Joey. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's, there's that. And I just, I think it's so important that we remember that sometimes, as long as we're not putting our kids in danger, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, as long as you're not putting your kid in danger, if you're leaving your kid in the car while you go into the store, that's, that's a whole different different. of walking 10 feet to the cart return. I always park next to the cart return. I I do too. In the car. And then, you know, I, or at least I try to, if I'm not one spot away, I'm two spots away. They're older. They're seven and 12. So my 12 year old stays home alone for a, usually about an hour, hour and a half, a couple times a week because he's 12, like, right. And he's mentally competent to do so. My seven-year-old will not be staying home alone when he's 12 because he mm-hmm. will not be mentally competent to do so. And I recognize right. that. And I think that it's important that parents realize, you know, as long as within reason, um, they're doing what they need to do. And I just, I'm, I actually think that mom shaming is kind of gross and it needs to stop. Um, I think that we are moms, especially neurodivergent moms. We need to support each other. Absolutely. Um, and you know, you can, you can be mom shamed for giving your kid a juice box or following a doctor's advice or whatever, Yeah, or whatever. Yep. So I just, I, I actually did a podcast not that long ago on mom, shame, mom shaming. And I'm just disgusted by it. I think it's, I think it's gross and it needs to stop. And we need to completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's a great segue actually into my last question for you, which is tell me about your podcast, because you also have two podcasts about being a mom and being a caregiver. So tell me about those. Where can people find you? Thank you so much. Um, Well, my first podcast, which is really my, my third baby, um, it's called Caregiver Chronicles. It is a podcast for family caregivers from all backgrounds. You don't have to just be a mom or neurodivergent mom. Um, we, we share stories again, if you know anybody struggling with like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or whatever, we have episodes on all things. And especially if you're taking care of someone and your family caregiver, we talk about that a lot. We also talk Mm -hmm. about education a lot because in the neurodivergent community, that's, you know, an important topic. Um, there's a lot of episodes on caregiving as a mother, caregiving as a spouse, caregiving as a, you know, child caring for an elderly parent or any, anything else caregiver related. Um, we really try to connect family caregivers and remove the isolation because there is isolation for family caregivers and we need to remove that. We also try to focus on self-care and just helping family caregivers feel more connected, give them the best resources we can. I love that. Um, my second podcast is fairly new. It's called Autism Out and About. And this is just this is just kind of like a fun bi-weekly project that I have um, with my husband and my kids. We go out, we go to places like museums. I, again, really believe in getting my kids out into the world. I think that parents of children who are on the spectrum a lot of times feel like they need to hide their kids away. Mm, 
And yeah. I am very much against that sentiment. I'm also against the sentiment of if a loved one gets Alzheimer's to just keep them locked in the home. Right. To get all different kinds of people out in the world and get the world exposed to them just as they deserve to be exposed to the world. Um, so we have gone to Monster Jam with my kiddos. We've talked about, we talked about the Ecotarium, which is up in Worcester, Massachusetts. And um, we've also discussed the Museum of Working Culture in Rhode Island. So we've been to a few different places that we've talked about. We have several other places that we've gone that we plan on going. Um, and we just share our stories and our trips of out of being out and about with our kids. We also talk about like what you might want to keep in mind if there are sensory needs. And we also talk about ways you can possibly save money because I also know that family caregivers and parents of kids with special needs don't always have the extra resources. So I want to make sure that I include like, does this place offer a discount for SNAP benefits? Does this place offer a discount for people with special needs or AAA or whatever? Um, how to get the best bang for your buck type thing. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, you know, I think it is really important. Those, those extra, that extra bit of information because therapies, medications, psychiatrists, additional doctor's visits, they cost a lot of money and, you know, it's things that your kids need. And, you know, I, I'm very grateful that my family well, for one, we only have one so far neurodivergent child who needs additional therapies, but even with one, it's really, really expensive. And so having that extra information about cost is something I personally hadn't ever thought of. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up. And then also the information about sensory, uh, sensory needs. And, you know, is there a quiet room? Is there somewhere you can go to, you know, I mean, nursing rooms are, have become really much more common and popular in the last couple of years. But as soon as I see a nursing room, I think to myself, okay, if we have a meltdown, that's where, that's our safe spot. That's where we can go. We can go and my six-year-old can, you know, have a safe, quiet place to be uh, until this passes and we're able to sort of move through it together. And so I think somebody like you sharing that information for other neurodivergent parents can give us then the confidence to be out and about, as you say. And so to, to venture out into the world and to not feel like we have to stay home and hidden away because our children deserve the space to be out in the world just as much as any other individual out there. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much. This was absolutely wonderful. It has been so great talking to you. I can't wait to have you back again. And for all the listeners, I'm going to put Sarah's contact information and a link to both of her podcasts in the show notes. So go ahead and give it a listen and we will talk to you next week. Thanks thank so much, Sarah. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village, our Facebook community. Catch you next time.